Born to entrepreneurial parents in the retail and textile industries, today's guest was immersed in the business of fashion from a very young age. In 2001, he opened a fashion boutique where he started his professional journey into branding, strategy, and marketing. With a keen skill for spotting successful collections before his peers, he quickly built a reputation among distributors and showrooms who took notice and started to ask for his advice about market trends and upcoming brands. After a successful run in retail, this led him to explore new opportunities in the industry, which prompted him to close the shop and immerse himself in the world of branding and private label development. Captivated by the strategic differences in global markets and the different communication styles expressed through branded content, by 2008 he was consulting across the USA, the EU, and Asia with brands such as Wimbledon Tennis, StormTech, and Head Sportswear. His interest in the power of storytelling led him to co-found a styling company back in 2010, which helped him hone in on his creativity and open doors to major commercial, music video, and editorial projects for household names like Virgin Media, Wu-Tang Clan, and Vogue. Now as a creative strategist and a holistic brand consultant, he continues to help businesses create strong messaging and creative marketing strategies that drive businesses forward in this human-centric era. Today's guest is the ever-nice and extremely talented Yussi Fisher. He stopped by the pod to tell me about his incredible fashion journey, why entrepreneurs should be maintaining a 2020 mindset for 2021, and how SMBs and brands can make noise to come out on top post-pandemic. Hey guys, Andrew here, and before I jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick second to thank my sponsors over at Bean Bundle, Canada's newest coffee subscription. Before I geared up for this interview, I used my French press using beans they sent me from one of the dopest roasters from across the country. Bean Bundle makes it so incredibly easy for people like me who drink tons of coffee every single day but love to try beans from different roasters. This process is pretty simple. You just visit beanbundle.com, choose how much coffee you want on a monthly basis, medium or dark roast, and they ship you different beans from the latest roasters on a monthly basis. Best part is that if you live in Canada, they ship to you absolutely free, and if you sign up using the code BUNDLE10, you'll save 10% on your subscription. Now go pour yourself a coffee and enjoy this week's episode. We got my man, Ayasi Fisher. Welcome to the podcast, brother. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for having me. Oh man, I'm uh, I'm pumped to chat with you. I mean, we've been having these these discussions off the record, unrecorded, which I feel uh, shitty about now because like there's been such good <laughs> chats, so much value in in our in our discussions, and um, we're gonna try to replicate it to some degree and and tell your story and you know really extract as much value as possible. But yeah, you are a creative, super creative human being. You're a, a brand strategist, uh, marketing. Um, just like a really, really smart and experienced homie in, in fashion. I'm excited to chat with you. I have to say welcome back to Toronto. I know you uh, moved back recently. Your place looks dope in the background there. Uh, thank you kindly. Yeah, I just got back end of August. Uh, sorry, um, end of July, early August. I was in Milan, you know, for while all this stuff was going down. But uh, I'm in Toronto right now and I uh, appreciate it. We just renoed uh, a new spot. So I plan on staying put here for a little while, obviously, because the world is a very strange place and travel's kind of been cut. So I thought it was a good idea to come back to just be with uh, my family and um, me and my wife were separated for seven months because of COVID, actually. So she's a tattoo artist, and she was here in Toronto for clients in January. And I was doing fashion weeks, and, and all of a sudden, you know, Milan just shut down overnight. And uh, it was pretty wild because, you know, everybody was on different time schedules. So, you know, Milan shut down. And then after Milan started opening up again, Canada shut down. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were kind of, you know, edging towards the end of the year. And we decided, you know, we were trying to figure out, like, well, is Andy going to come back to Milan? And, I got to come back to Toronto and just kind of looking at everything. It made sense to come back here, be with family, 
uh, you know, we have healthcare here and, uh, you know, everything's so digital and every, you know, I mean, we're doing, you know, this podcast remotely, which is amazing that we've become so normalized to this kind of stuff, but it really makes the ease of communication and business and everything so much more fluid. And, uh, yeah, so it's exciting times. I mean, there's strange times, not taking that away from anybody, but, uh, I think that depending on how you look at it, it could be also really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to get into like some of the strategies and, 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 and concepts and ideas that, you know, people can leverage to take advantage of uh, what we're going through and, and not necessarily look at it as a setback. But, um, you know, people are probably sitting here wondering, A, first of all, who's Andy? Andy is Yussi's wife. I just met her. She walked by. Um, so you're not confused. B, people are probably wondering, well, like, you're, like, how's this guy? Why was he in Milan? Why was his wife in Toronto? What's the connection? How the hell does this all happen? So we're going to try to paint the picture here and tell, tell your story a little bit. So, I mean, your connection to fashion goes like way back. You're, you mentioned to me your dad was uh, a real big player in, in the textile and garment space. H how, you know, when did that come about in terms of his life and, and how old were you? And when did that start to kind of influence your, you know, your, your interest in, in, in kind of the fashion world? Right. It's actually a very interesting question because, yeah, so my dad's a textile developer, um, really, really talented, really, really smart gentleman. He was creating fabrics, like literally creating them, and uh, he was selling them as private label. So he's doing a lot of performance stuff, and he just knew how to, like, twist the yarn and figure out the weaves where a lot of these fabrics would create these properties because of the way he intertwined it. So textiles I'm fluent in, but not at the level of my father. So to respect his knowledge, I'm not going to go too far deeper into that part of it. But the interesting thing is that actually growing up, my dad was in textiles like forever, right? Like as far as I, as far as I remember, but I didn't get inspired, inspired by fashion from my dad. I got inspired by business from my dad because when you deal with private label um, and especially in performance stuff, you know, back in the day, even leading up to now, it wasn't like fashion, right? It was very purposeful garments to be worn for tennis or skiing or what have you. And uh, so it wasn't like runway stuff and, you know, these big look because we would sell the fabric as private label and the other brands and they would take it and then create their lookbooks and their campaigns. Right. So from my father's side of things, actually, I got more inspired with the, open space of the world and how, you know, he had offices in Hong Kong. Um, he started his, his, uh, his textile journey in Montreal, actually. Um, but he's just been super just worldly. And I think that that for me really at a young age opened up the space where I realized that, wait a second, business is international. Like there are entrepreneurs, right? Like I got into the, into the entrepreneurship game in 2001. Like that wasn't cool. That was like people that didn't go to university that were trying to figure it out. Like, and now it's like pop culture being an, an entrepreneur is like the biggest thing. Um, but I had that seed in me from a little kid in my mind because my dad was, you know, a couple of weeks here, a few weeks there, a couple of months there. Um, and so that really opened up that space of just, you know, just business and working for yourself and being inspired by the world. Um, he used to send us uh, postcards all the time from every different country. This is postcards. This is how far back this goes, right? Like not email. <laughs> not email, not, not, not text messages with phone, you know, and, but anyway, so it really kind of opened up my space there. My interest in fashion actually came from my mom because growing up, she was always just so well-dressed. She had a lot of her own shops, a lot of her own clothing shops. Um, she's been in retail for her whole life. She's retired now, but seeing how she put herself together, you know, like didn't care about trends, didn't care about what everybody else was wearing. And then seeing everybody's reaction to her, you know what I mean? Like everybody kind of looked the same, but my mom didn't. 
And everyone, like when they would have dinners with their friends, you know, you just hear like, oh, I love that necklace or wow, I love how you put this together. Um, and it, it wasn't like these crazy focused conversations about my mom. But, you know, after 10, 15 years of hearing that, you kind of really start getting into the, the psychology of fashion and, you know, how that kind of actually plays into people's lives. Now we have something called influencers, which is like a big term. But before the internet, influencers were still very much alive, right? They were just influencing their friends, you know what I mean? Based on how they were dressed or where they were traveling or, you know, you name it. And that's kind of how we got influenced to live our lives. And so that's kind of where my fashion background really kind of picked up because I would hang out in the afternoons in my mom's store. I would sometimes go on buying, um, on buying afternoons just to kind of like come with her. And so the combination of those two really kind of set me into the space that I'm in. And, uh, you know, like I said, so I got out of high school at 19, didn't know what I wanted to do. My parents are entrepreneurs and they were like, listen, if you want to go to university, make sure that you go because you want to be there because you're going to be spending money. This isn't high school. Don't waste your time and your life being somewhere you don't want to be. If you want to take a year off and figure it out, that's okay. But then you have to figure out something, right? They weren't just like, oh yeah, be a free bird. They're like, we, we appreciate the fact that school might not be the right place for you, but you need to figure out your place somewhere because if you're not going to school, then you've got to get a job or it turned into me building my first business. But that's kind of how that flowed. So I got out of high school at 19. Uh, I worked at Athletes World, which is kind of like a footlocker if anybody's listening internationally. I remember it, Athletes World, man. That's, that's wow. Wild times, right? Like yeah. long time ago. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I started working at Athletes World and uh, on my time off and um, I started noticing a big hole in the suburban market. So I'm born and raised Thornhill, which is the suburbs of Toronto, kind of the suburbs of the GTA, the six. So when I was working down, well, I was working at Yorkdale. So it was kind of fairly midtown to downtown kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. I was noticing that people were coming in, buying all this stuff. This was when Athletes World and Foot Locker started selling clothing, right? Like urban wear and streetwear. Before it was literally just sportswear. It was just shoes and like, you know, um, water bottles and stuff right yeah and then they started carrying like anichi and like academics and like all those brands that oh, yeah. are like super popular that like you know fabulous was wearing in rap videos and everyone was like yo that i want that stuff you know like, bro right that pink fur coat and everyone's like he's wearing a pink fur coat and it's yeah. like and so yeah so you know urban really started picking up especially for uh toronto and, and the big scene it really kind of made its way up north and what ended up happening was i realized that you know when i was driving back home I was like, there's nothing like this uptown. Like, why is this associated only with downtown traffic and a town, downtown culture and, a, and an underground vibe? I'm like, I, I was in hip hop, but I was more of a street culture kind of kid. So, you know, breaking and, and graffiti and, you know, like I didn't MC or anything, but I had friends that were DJs. And so I kind of created this shop. I was like, you know what? There's a big hole in the uptown market. So I actually went to my parents and I sat down with them like they were investors. And I was like, listen, this is what I want to do. This is what I want. This is why I want to do it. This is where I want to do it. And I really broke down like everything, just like they were investors. Um, and my parents were gracious enough to uh, lend me uh, $30,000. And uh, because we had great credit, I didn't have to worry about paying for my goods, but it allowed me to get, you know, the racks and allowed me to get stuff for the store. And we, we had friends come in and they, they, they graffitied the whole place. Shout out to Duro and Case uh, and Water from Toronto, old school names. But, you know, this was the culture that we were introducing to the suburban um, area, right? Like people didn't know. And so I kind of found a really great niche there because we had a lot of kids, a lot of parents, a lot of high school. And these parents weren't going downtown to Platinum World to go talk to Kane about, you know, like their holiday shopping for their children. 
So we really lucked out. I got a really great spot and uh, had that for about five years. And I was doing really well. I didn't really want to, fashion wasn't my calling, business was. But fashion was the outlet that I found an opportunity in. It just so happened to be that that was the one that I was like, the first idea was like, let's do that. So, so how, how did your mom play a role in, in, your store was called Ground Level, right? Ground Level Clothing, yeah. You know, you talk about your mom's entrepreneurial tendencies. I mean, you're both your parents are entrepreneurs, which obviously makes a lot of sense now that I'm getting to know you. But um, in terms of like the retail store, did, was, uh, you know, was that proposition kind of like go figure it out on your own? Or was she kind of like a mentor for you, and, and, like teaching you the ropes and, uh, you know, teaching you how to, to buy things on terms and, and kind of merchandise and kind of go through, you know, all the nuances that it takes to build a successful retail store? Like, does she play a pretty big role in that? Yeah, very much so, actually. So, you know, when I had my store, my parents were really supportive because I didn't come in and I was like, oh, I want to do this random thing and, you know, give me some money. Um, actually talking about that money. So I just give you a bit of a background in terms of context of how significant this store was. So um, I came from, uh, I was born with a lot of money. My parents had a lot of money. We lived in a 10,000 square foot mansion and we had a 40 foot uh, yacht and we lived on a golf course and we went first class everywhere. And that was my upbringing until about 11 uh, in 1988, 89 recession hit and my family lost everything. And so, you know, I went from having everything to nothing but really, you know, my parents ingrained the values of family and that was really important. And so, you know, I was still in high school, so I couldn't do anything, you know, in the nineties necessarily. But when I graduated and I took a year to really think about what I wanted to do, I literally approached my parents and said, you know, I, this is the idea. And they lent me the last 30 they had. Wow. You know what I'm saying like, I was like, my parents gave me so much. I'm like, let's just build, let's do this store and then give the money back to the family, right? And so it was about, you know, you know, getting a house again. Like we went from a mansion to like, a, like renting a bungalow. Like so that, that's that, really- Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but was that wealth? Was that like, I'm assuming your parents were obviously immigrants and like, so was that all that money that they earned, like just from starting their own business from textile, from retail, like that, that's not old that's money. It. That's, that's like- No, that's no. it. Canadian yeah. dream type, like I went over there and, and I made it and wow. Yeah, my mom, my mom's actually born in Morocco. She's from Tangiers. And when she was growing up, she was pick, picking cotton. Like, and wow. that was just normal. It wasn't like, a, oh no, we're poor. It's like, my mom has 11 brothers and sisters. They lived in one house that had two rooms. It was the kitchen. And then it was the master bedroom for the parents. So my mom and her brothers and sisters all slept on the same mattresses, but it was normal. And so she would pick cotton and carrots and potatoes and that was her upbringing, you know, family, those family values were so ingrained in who she is that it really kind of, you know, as we were growing up, obviously were, was really important. My dad was uh, born and raised uh, in Lithuania um, and then uh, made his way over to Montreal and then got some opportunities with textiles. He was working with Tip Top Taylor, making all their poplins and all their like, you know, when Tip Top was massive and there was like million dollar shirt orders. My dad studied in Japan uh, for textiles, opened up a, an office in Hong Kong. And then, you know, he just was a hustler from the, from the get. He, he came from a bit more modest, like he came from a bit more like, you know, he went to university. His family was kind of middle class. It wasn't anything crazy, but all that wealth was accumulated for my parents and, wow. you know, a lot of love to them. So, you know, when I spoke to my parents about that and I was like, listen, this is what I want to do. Da, 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 they wanted to succeed not only for me, but because, the whole point of it was to just elevate our family again so we could, you know, have a home that like we actually bought and have cars and like, you know, do things that we, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't have the luxury of doing for a long time because of, you know, as entrepreneurs, recessions can really fuck you up, excuse my language, but like, you know, there's nothing given. There's not like, oh, you made 5 million and you got all this in the bank. Like 
but tomorrow, you know, 9-11 can happen or Corona can happen. Like, so th there is no security with that, but it's also a personality trait. And I think that it's, it's something that uh, it's not for everybody. And I don't think that that's a for better or worse conversation. I just think that you got to be self-aware about it. And so when I went up to my parents, they knew me already. They knew my, my tendencies. They knew how I dressed. They knew that I was into the culture. They knew that I knew what I was talking about because mm -hmm. they were also business people. So when I was saying stuff to them, they understood. They're like, oh, yeah, that actually is a really good area for that. Oh, I understand why you want to do that. Like, they broke me down. It wasn't like, hey, no problem. Y'all see, here's a bunch of cash. It was like what we had. Well, it wasn't so, a handout. You had, you had a business plan. You had, like, this was a methodical, thought out kind of uh, endeavor. Yeah, that Right? Like, it was a business. It wasn't like... You know, uh, mom, give me thirty grand. I'm I, I'm just gonna buy a bunch of inventory and you know start a store. No, like you had a plan, the location. You know, you probably you know I can I can imagine someone like you would ha have like a, a visual of like what what was gonna hang where and like you know oh, for sure. what the store is gonna look like, right? So like I, I think any parent wants to help their kid, but I think when it's it's strategic and methodical and you know you can to treat them like investors and prove to them that hey it's the best right yeah. like, then, then you know sure everyone's going to be hesitant to give you money because you never know if you're going to get it back but but it's like you know i guess we looked at it as you know in business you have to, you have to look at your situation and, and and really kind of like your opportunities and you know yeah. where to leverage different things and so for us for example my parents had great uh had great credit so because they had great credit, I was able to get 90-day terms. This is 90-day terms. This is 2001. People don't get 90-day terms anymore. But we had A A1 credit, right? So I was able to get 90-day terms. So I was selling stuff faster than I had to pay it. And so that's really what kind of kept us because of that, you know, perspective of the business and the industry and, and you know, doing all the buying. And just to refer back to your question, my yeah. parents wanted me to succeed. It wasn't like, oh, we hope them the best. So, you know, my mom has had a lot of experience with, with retail buying and negotiating. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that I didn't know. And they were really graceful with that. They, you know, the first two seasons that we were in the shop, they, you know, they sat with me in my buying meetings and, uh, you know, let me take the rain. But then when it was like negotiating or different things, or if there was something I didn't consider, they would mention it. And we built a great rapport with our um, suppliers and everything. And so, you know, one thing led to another after a couple of seasons. I mean, my mom would work in the store because I would need some time off. Of course, um, I had a couple of friends working for me and some interns, but ultimately um, it was just me. And, um, you know, it was just, uh, it was a blessing. It, it, I learned so much about, you know, driving, we would take a van, drive to Montreal at four in the morning, go to all the factories, make crazy deals with these people, and then drive back the same night. Like, and we would do that all the time. So that hustle, I never would have, I never would have known. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of uh, retail strategies that go along with the, the, the information that I have or the knowledge that I, that I attain. But that's kind of where it kind of started going up. Now, the interesting about it was that, like I said, it wasn't really a fashion thing for me. It was more of a business thing for me, mm -hmm. but I really had a good knack. I had a good feel for trends and fashion and vibe. Um, I was one of the main stores that built LRG in Canada. I was one of the first people in the, in the country to even have it, let alone even know what it was. And, you know, we had Dub back in the day. I don't know if you remember Dub, but then we had a Nietzsche and we had academics, like academics build our suits. And so anyway, so what ended up happening was over time, um, just through conversations and through these buying, you know, and networking events, I was connecting with a lot of really big people and a lot of CEOs were, you know, in my Rolodex and uh, they would hit me up and be like, Hey, y'all see, like, you know, we're thinking about bringing some new brands in. Do you want to come in and take a look and tell us what you think? You know, with academics, for example, um, you know, I, I, knew, I knew the buyers there really, really well. And uh, one of the buyers took off for a better opportunity. And then the distributor would call me in and they'd say, hey, listen, 
we would like to get you in to do your, your order first because we'll do the national buy based on what you book. Right. And so it really kind of just escalated. And then after so you were like, you were setting the trend basically for, you know, what the top 10, 15, 20 pieces were going to be out of, uh, out of their entire, you know, sa their sample collection. Right. Well, in Canada, because in Canada, yeah. back in the day, like the sample collections weren't everything that the U S got. Yeah. So, I mean, I had to pull some strings sometimes to get some stuff that was exclusive. Um, but yeah, we kind of rolled through that. And, you know, over time I realized like, you know, the retail thing's cool. But after five years, I was like, you know what? I don't want to renew a lease and be here for another five years. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more opportunities, a lot of things going up. So um, just through everything, I close up the shop and I moved to LA. I'll give you kind of uh, an overview of the, the next 15 years and we can kind of get to some other stuff. But ultimately, I, uh, I moved to LA and um, my dad was doing the textiles and he was negotiating with a company out there uh, called LBH, Lily of Beverly Hills. They own the right to Wimbledon tennis. And um, my father was in negotiations with them. And so once, a, once the uh, negotiations were done, they were like, okay, great. Well, you know, we have to design the collection now because it was private label. And when we're ready, we'll place the order for the garment and for the fabric and everything. And while they were in negotiations, though, me and my father created a capsule collection for them already that they didn't know about. So when everything was ready to go, they were like, okay, we'll get back to you guys. And we said, well, actually, we have a whole program already designed for you. So if you want it, then it's yours. Did you actually physically design that? Yeah, I designed it. Like tech packs and everything? Everything. Full tech pack, lab, like, you know what I mean? Like we had the, like the white lab, like the whole nine. How did you know how to do that? Is that something you just, you just figured shit out and did it? And, and cause you knew this was a massive opportunity or did you have some experience maybe from someone else from your dad that, that kind of, um, you had your feet wet a little bit with it? Cause that's yeah. like not something you can necessarily, you know, you just pull up like yeah, you know, Adobe and you're like, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is of <laughs> like, well, I mean, I guess I kind of like, I mean, I guess because my dad was an immigrant and like, he was really smart business wise, but tech, like, you know, technology wasn't his best friend. So, cause you know, growing up, he'd always have secretaries to do all the stuff. That's how things used to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but then when, uh, like I said, once we hit recession and he couldn't have a secretary anymore, um, he would ask me for, you know, oh, can you help me with this email? Or, you know, um, you know, I have to create this tech pack on the computer. Can you just transfer? Like I wasn't doing any thinking. I was just doing stuff for him. Mm -hmm. But in the process, I learned so much about that. And then he'd randomly be like, Hey, Yossi, you know, take a look at these whites. You know, he'd have five swatches of whites and he'd be like, you know, which one do you think we should use? And I'd be like, well, this white has a bit too much yellow in it. And this white has a bit too much pink in it. And this, and you know, it, it, it's something that not everyone can do, but I, I, for some reason, my, my, my eyes could see it. And, um, it was just, just through passing, just by helping my dad that I really kind of like built up. Wow. And I think that over the years, he realized that like, you know, that I was giving input that these brands and companies were actually using, mm -hmm. right? Like I was in, uh, on, on like the back end because I was, I was still at school and it wasn't like, Hey, I'm working with my son. But over time it kind of like became that. So when I was in LA, it was after nine 11, you know, it was really, really tough to, you know, to get visas and paperwork and all that stuff. So my dad called me one day and he's like, Hey, listen, he's like, how are things going for you in LA? And I was like, well, actually, sorry. At this time I was living in Vegas. So I was in LA. It wasn't working so well. I moved over to Vegas for a little while. So he hit me up and he's like, how's things in Vegas? And I'm like, it's okay, but it's really hard to get work out here because of so much paperwork. Right. It was just insane after nine 11. So he said, listen, I have some stuff going on. Why don't you fly back out here? you know, I have some opportunities going on in LA as well. And you're, you know, you've already familiarized yourself there. So let's see where this goes. And I said, you know what, let's do it. So I got back to Toronto and uh, we started working on that. And then I flew back to LA because they got our, our capsule. 
their story, our, 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 our collection. Yes. So I lived in LA for, for two seasons, uh, three fashion season cycles, but two seasons. Cause at the end of my third designs, I decided to just get out of LA. I didn't want to live there anymore. Um, and then I started traveling with my father. So I was in Malaysia and Taiwan and, you know, I was going to factories and doing quality control and, and seeing, you know, going to inspect factories and what that means. And I was going to, you know, in Malaysia, I was going to cities like Johor, which is literally just business. Like it's, it's like hotels and factories, like that's it. And then through all of that, the fascinating thing about it was I started really realizing the the power of brand and the importance of it. Because I was now not only exposed to the U.S. and Canada, but I was exposed to companies designing for China and Japan and Hong Kong. And, you know, we did some stuff with uh, with Head Sportswear, which is in the EU. And I realized that by taking all their branding content and seeing what they were doing with our products, because I needed to know what they were doing, because I needed to develop and I needed to help develop their private label season after season. So I need to know what they were doing. And I realized I'm like, wow, I'm like the communication strategy they're using here is really different than the one they're using in the US. Or, you know, the message is super strong, or I don't even know the reference to what that is. And all of a sudden you realize how important that conversation, that brand, the lifestyle, you know, it's not just about having something cool. It's, you know, what I preach about a lot these days is that your products these days, especially are the last thing you need to care about. Mm-hmm. And obviously once you make a sale, the quality has to be good and I want to, and I, and I need to have to, I, 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 you want people to buy it again. Right. But before you get to that, to that sale, there's so much with brand and there's so much with values and culture and just the fundamentals of, of, of conversation and communication. So it's very interesting because I've done so many things over the years. Cause I finished up with my dad there after about five years. I love my dad. It was really fucking intense working with him. One thing I learned from my father though, is, uh, you know, pressure busts pipes, but they also make diamonds. And uh, what I realized is that I thought that I was just going through the motions after a while. But then when I stepped away from my father, I was like, oh, my God, I have all this information. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I started a styling firm from there. Um, I can't, you know, I, I, I stayed in Toronto for a little while. Um, I built a styling firm here and we were doing stuff for Virgin Mobile. We did um, uh, music videos for Wu-Tang and uh, Danny Fernandez and like all, you know, all, like Sean Dez, like all these big Canadian, you know, groups. And we actually connected with uh, Howie D and he had a band called, uh, called Neverest. And so we were touring with them in the U S and then we were also doing editorials and fashion things. And it just kind of became this big thing. So I had that for about four or five, uh, for about three years with a business partner of mine. And then I really got into the creative and art direction of everything. Like, you know, I did styling and all that stuff, um, celebrity and, uh, and also campaign stuff. But I also really enjoyed just the creation of those ideas and, you know, you know, location scouting and, you know, going through a thousand photos and finding the best six and, you know, like whatever it was. And so what ended up happening is I decided that in, um, I was with a business partner of mine at the time and he was, you know, he's in the music scene. He really likes it because we were doing so many musicians and artists. He actually decided to stay in the music business. He's actually now a a tour manager for a really well-known artist, but he, we were kind of sitting around being like, okay, so what's next, right? We're in Toronto. It's like, we're really busy and we're making good money. And like, that's great. But like, what's the evolution from here? And Mm -hmm. he said, to be honest, I think I'm going to keep on pushing through to the music business. And, uh, you know, like he was seeing someone at the time. He's like, if they move to Hong Kong, I'm probably going to go. And I thought about my life and I was like, you know what, what do I want to do? Right. Like simulate, like, you know, singling yourself, you know, from your business partner, because you're, you're so intertwined all the time. And then all of a sudden I said, you know what, I'm going to go to London and I'm going to try this thing out. Why London? So I was, uh, okay, this, this conversation is a really big conversation about my past year, but um, pretty much I was, I was seeing somebody at the time who has been wanting to go to London her whole life. 
Okay. And uh, things were going really well for me. And she asked me if I want to go and I declined. I said, listen, I appreciate that. But you know, like you've always want to go to London. Like, you know, you're still pretty young. Like, do you want to move to London with your boyfriend and da, 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 da. And then after a couple of months, when I had that conversation with my business partner, I hit her back. Well, I, I was still seeing her, but like, you know, I, we were talking one day and I'm like, you still want to go to London? And she was like, yeah, let's go. And I was like, boom. So we booked three months later, we were in London. We got the visas and everything. And I got to, I got to London in 2011. Instagram wasn't really around. Twitter was really big. Social media was not what it was right now. Um, but I didn't know anybody. Like, you know, I had no friends, no family, no network. Um, nothing carried over with me. And, you know, a lot of people were like, Yossi, like, you know, you're going to London and you're going to try to do all this stuff. But like, there's people that have been the, their whole lives trying to do what you're doing. Like, like you're just going to go and you think it's going to work out. Like they care for me. They weren't being negative. They're like, think about it. You have a really good fucking thing here. Like just, you know, don't get spurred in a moment that you're going to regret later. And I literally looked at them, you know, to each person that said that to me. And I was like, you know, there's there's a difference in the nuances of the conversation that we're having here. I never said that I'm going to London to try to do anything. I said, I'm going to London to do something. Mm -hmm. And words are a really powerful thing. And when you tell yourself that you're going to try to do stuff, it changes the whole dynamic of every conversation you have moving forward. So when I was in London and I was meeting people and they're like, what do you do? I didn't say, Oh, well, you know, I just got here. I'm trying to be a creative director. Cause then they would have been like, Oh, that's super cool. We'll keep in touch. You know, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see you around. I came in and I said, I'm a creative director. And they go, that's great. We need a creative director. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the conversations bloomed. Right. So that, that organic, entrepreneurial space and strategy was something really important. Like, you know, I got to London and I was like, okay, I need my tools and my tools are brands. So how do I get a hold of those brands? And then I went on Twitter and I searched all these brands and I followed them all on Twitter. I found a lot of PR companies because here it was a lot of showrooms back in the day. And so I was trying to find showrooms in London, but I found out that the PR companies hold the showrooms as well because they hold all the, the sample collections. So I started following all the PR companies. And then the PR companies were retweeting people being like, you know, can't wait to go to Blow PR's press day. On my way to Purple PR right now. So, you just start stalking these people on Twitter and being like, oh, I'm going to show up at this event and I'm going to meet these people. And <laughs> Bro, you're, that's exactly what I did. So literally what I did is I'd wake up in the morning and I would do the exact same thing. I'd be like, can't wait to go to Purple PR Press Day. Excited to see everybody at Blow. <laughs> and then when I would get there, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Yossi, we just saw your tweet. Welcome. Come on in. And so, yeah. you know, being an entrepreneur, you got to really find your, your, your waves and your flow and you got to understand, you know, how to make shit out of nothing, right? Like I totally... And so anyway, so that's kind of what happened there. So I was in London for a few years. Um, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, by the way. And, and listen, don't discount the fact that like it takes balls to show up to a party that you don't necessarily have an invite to and, and pretend like you belong there. Like yeah. you, you really got to be like, you know, you should have been an actor, I guess, at, at some point along this journey. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, you're right. You do got to make shit happen. You, you got to be a super confident person and, you know, especially when your back's against the wall, I think you really get creative and it's not even something that like you can premeditate. It's like you, you don't know where your head goes until you're in a place where you're like, shit, like I got to start, right. I got to make shit happen. And then, you know, things like, like you just discussed, uh, that you brought up are, are the fruition of those thoughts. So it's, it's, you know, it's 10, it's, it's a testament to your entrepreneurial spirit, but also like, for anyone that's listening to this, that, you know, we're living in a really rough time right now. And I'm sure a lot of people are going through some shit and maybe think they're unworthy or they don't belong or like, you know, they suck at business. And the truth is you probably don't, but now's the time to, 
you know, really put your back against the wall and, and get creative kind of like you did. And I want to hear how this kind of evolves now. Cause you know, yeah. you're, you're, yeah, totally. you're shaking hands <laughs> and, and kissing babies with the right people. Yeah. Listen, you know, listen, I, I, you know, a lot of my story has a lot of turmoil in it as well. You know, it wasn't all roses. Like, you know, for the, for the first six months in London, like, you know, it was, it was hard. I had no, like I was going to these press days and stuff, but I wasn't getting clients yet. Right. Like I was really depressed for a long time. Like this is not easy stuff. Like I was down dead broke. I broke up with a girl that I went out there with, you know, I wasn't getting hired. I had somebody who tried to sabotage my career while I was out there. Like it was wild. Like this isn't an easy thing. And, and that's why I say entrepreneurship's not for everybody because I don't get affected by my losses. I learn from my losses. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've been in the industry for 20 years now and we'll get into the last five of it, but I've been in the industry for so long, but I've taken my hits and I've grown and I've learned and I've matured. Like there's times where I've had no money at all where I'm literally like just depressed and crying and like unsure and like people, whatever. But then I've had times where I've had a lot of money and I've traveled the world and I'm blessed to say that I'm in, I'm in a good place right now. But like, I was okay with that. Right. Yeah. Like when, when, when I got back, you have from, to be right. You have like, as you, an have entrepreneur, to, you have to be right. Like, to I don't, be. You just told a story about your, your family and how, you know, you're on yachts and, and jets and, you know, you're probably one, one of the wealthier families in 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 canada i would think at this point if, if you have that kind of wealth and and to lose it all like this but have the ability you know a lot of people would melt down if they were like i had this it's gone i'm done like life's over i'm giving up i'm throwing in the towel i'll never get back there or you just have a switch in you where you're like well i already did it so i'm gonna do it again and, you know, and I think that genetics and DNA comes into play and especially like, you know, your epigenetics, who's around you. I mean, the interesting thing was just to kind of like go back to this. So this was a lot of me understanding myself and being, you know, self-aware. So when I closed my shop, a little quick little story before I went out to LA, um, I closed my shop and I was like, okay, so I need some money in the meantime because I'm stepping out of retail. I'm trying to do something else. And I remember getting a job as a waiter and I went to the, to the interview and I came back to the house and I was excited. And I told my dad, I'm like, you know, he's like, oh, what did you say? I'm like, oh, I had an interview. And he's like, how'd it go? I'm like, I got it. He's like, that's awesome. What did you do? He's like, what did you get? And I'm like, oh, I got a, a serving job. And he looked at me and he goes, so after everything that you've done and you've learned, you're now going to be serving? And it hit me like, I thought I was making my parents happy. Like, I'm getting a job and I'm being irresponsible. And my dad was like, after five years, like, after everything, like, you're going to stop and be like, what are you doing? And then that's when I decided to make the, that's when I decided to make the move. Cause like, you know what, you're right. And I, I, I appreciate that I had the support of my family, right? Like they don't agree with everything that I do, but in that particular situation, it was like, it was the driving force to be like, Oh, you know what? Okay, cool. Like if my parents appreciate that, like, this is really what I want to do. And not, they're not worried about me making them happy. They want me to succeed. Right. Then I'm going to go for gusto. And I've been doing it ever since. So just to finish off my, my story for, for your audience. I know it's been a long one. I appreciate everyone who's still, you know, like really interested in all this stuff, but it's a good um, story. It's a good no, I story. Appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. So, so anyway, so what ended up happening was I was in London for a few years and uh, the first six months I said were really, really crazy. But then all of a sudden I started getting jobs and I paired up with a, with a, an incredible photographer, Adam Alex. And um, we started getting big campaigns and we doing campaigns in Switzerland and in Paris and in London and you know, flying around the world. The people that I was hiring were the people in London, I've been trying to do it for a long time. And, and, and I was grateful to do that. You know, we went to, we did um, two pretty big campaigns in Cape Town. And to show my appreciation, I got us a private chef. Uh, I took my, my whole team to a spa day. Like I flew them out for me from London because they were with me from the get. 
right? So when I had the budgets, I was like, yo, you guys are coming. Like, so I'm going to lose a few grand out of my pocket, but you're coming with because this is us. This isn't about me. This is about community. This is about culture. This is about who you're engaging with, about your friends, about your network. And when I say network, I don't mean like using people for network, but I mean that the open conversation of friendships you have when you're in this type of niche, you generally, in, you know, you, you, you end up opening up this wild, beautiful network of conversations and people and minds and inspirations. It's not about a network that could do something for me. It was a network that I was being inspired from. You know what I mean? I wasn't asking for anything. I felt like I was taking more. So when I got these big budgets, I was like, all right, guys, let's go. So let's hop on this plane and roll out. But anyway, so I was there for a few years and then um, my dad gave me another call and uh, he asked me, um, you know, kind of what was going down. And uh, I ended up coming back to Toronto. Um, my dad developed a brand new fabric, but this time, instead of making it private, instead of selling a private label, we turned it into a brand. Uh, it's called Copper 88 and it's performance still. Um, we're, uh, we're across Canada and, and internationally selling. And um, we started that because it was like, all right, well, when my dad retires, there's no legacy there to, to pass on because textiles is like a very specific thing. Like you need to pretty much dedicate your life to it to get to the level that my father was at. So I couldn't carry that on for him. But in terms of creating a brand and a business, well, that's something that I could do. You know, my brother was, um, was doing a lot of um, Fortune 500 seminars for H&M and like big places because he was living in China for a while. So he's now CEO of the company. I've stepped away because uh, obviously there's a lot of other things going on with me. But I came back to build a company, um, you know, with my family again. It's, it's a very interesting way that this kind of all happens, the way that my family runs. And, you know, for better or worse, we're always kind of in it together. So, um, so anyway, so I moved back to Toronto. Uh, and that's when I met uh, my wife now, Andy, which we uh, kind of introduced to recently. And so, yeah, so I came back and uh, started working with my dad. I met my wife online. Um, and we literally hit it off. Um, I told her a week after I met her that I loved her. And I think three days after that, I asked her to move away with me. And, and that's kind of where that whole thing happened. So from Toronto, we moved over to Berlin. We were in Berlin for about a year and a half. Um, and uh, it wasn't really my vibe there. I love the city. I love visiting. I could stay a month or two there, no problem. But for living, it wasn't really where I wanted to like really keep going. So we came back to Toronto to get married and uh, yeah. And then literally the day after our marriage, you know, when we decided we were going to move to Milan because she, my, my wife's half Italian. Mm -hmm. So um, we got married on September 12th, September 13th. I was on a plane because fashion week started September 15th that year in London. And uh, I went to London um, and uh, head straight over to Milan. And then we moved to Milan. Uh, we were there for three years. And uh, during my time in Toronto and in Milan, I decided to focus a lot more on consulting because I was working with all these brands and all these people. And when I'm talking throughout my years, if we're in a project together or something, I'm happy to talk about your brand or whatever. Like it didn't matter. I wasn't a consultant mindset back then. I was just, you know, sharing information. But then once I started getting people and brands messaging me in between seasons, in between collections, Hey, yo, let's go for a coffee. I want to ask you about this. I realized that I had a lot more, um, a lot more clout in, in terms of, my approach and my perspective on the industry than I personally even thought, mm -hmm. um, you know, cause it was just me. I'm just, I'm just a, I'm just a Jew from Thornhill, man. I'm like, it's just me. Right. Um, but I'm working with these massive international companies. I did uh, collaborations with finally 29 and we've done stuff with massive, massive platforms. And so I decided to focus strictly on, um, on consulting. And so I've been consulting for three years straight because of the background that I have, right? Like I've done retail, wholesale, buying, manufacturing, quality control, styling, creative direction, art direction, high fashion campaigns, streetwear stuff, lifestyle stuff, you know, 
And so I got to the point where, you know, I didn't know that, that this, was, this is where it was going to lead me. I was just following my life's path and I was making decisions accordingly. And then consulting just seemed to be a right fit for me. And I've learned so much about it over the years, really exponentially. And now my style is kind of like a mix between a consultant and a coach, which is a really interesting space to be because people are usually one or the other because um, they're kind of very rigid structures in terms of how you approach your clients. But I looked at it and I was like, if I'm consulting, like, it didn't feel right to not also coach because fashion, you know, fashion and business is also a mental game. Um, you know, I work with uh, independents and I work with small and medium sized like, you know, SMBs. And it was, it was apparent to me how the market was evolving and changing and how many conversations people weren't having that needed to be had. And then that's why I started, you know, just like yourself, I'm, you know, sharing tons of information. I'm doing tons of interviews. I'm, I'm doing lives. I'm, you know, everything because I'm just, trying to give as much information to the industry as I can to have them think a different way. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And um, long story long, I guess, but that's what brought us here. So um, I was in Milan for three years. And uh, like I told you before, what ended up happening was, you know, everything was great. We planned on living there and then Corona happened to the world. And uh, I stayed there because we planned, I mean, I, we didn't know what was going to happen. And then the world got locked down, but I decided to, you know, just make the most out of it during lockdown. So for anybody that hasn't followed me or if my followers are listening, I mean, I've done so many interviews, so many lives, I'm doing so many posts, I'm, I'm sharing so much info because I wanted to heal the industry, you know, and people are like, wow, like no one's talking like this. Y'all see? And I'm like, because I'm not afraid of anybody. What do you uh, mean by heal the industry? Like what, what I find that such an interesting comment to make because not because the industry doesn't need healing, because I think, you know, if you ask anyone who's got even, you know, their pinky toe in the game, they'll say that there's a lot of change that needs to happen on so many different levels. But like, what do you specifically mean by that when you say, you know, I used the time to start healing the industry? Like, what was the issue you were trying to fix? I think that a big part with fashion in the industry is like, so, you know, a lot of people go, most people go down the same route, right? Like they go to fashion design school and, you know, they, they, they watch Vogue and all the, you know, all these fashion weeks and, you know, everyone's kind of like a lot of, a lot of the industry that's in the industry is very romantic with the industry. And what ends up happening is that romance is very detrimental to a lot of people because they're looking at this facade of the industry that's been kind of presented to them, but that's not how it actually works. And, you know, for me, I didn't come in from like, fashion is I didn't go to Central St. Martin's and I wasn't, you know, working at Vogue and I, you know, I, I had, I just kind of came in and I just started, right? Like I, I had nobody, I mean, my parents helped me with the, with the store setup, but in terms of fashion in the industry, like I came in on my own, like, right? Like my, my parents and my dad didn't, didn't introduce me to anybody. It wasn't like that. And so I think that over the years, I realized that, you know, the conversations that I'm having with, with people, everybody was like, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, I didn't think about that. Or, wow, like, the industry, like, I didn't know that that's how it worked. And I was like, and for me, it was common knowledge because that's how I processed my whole life. But then once I started consulting and really getting into the minds of people and how they work their businesses and what they think is important versus what's not important, you know, that's when I realized I'm like, this, this, this industry needs a lot of healing, especially now we're, we're a lot more human centric and we're a lot more about, you know, the humanity and, and less about products and more about brand and culture and, you know, those fundamentals. And, I work with a lot of brands to heal themselves on the inside because just because you post a photo and you say that you're about something doesn't mean that you're that, right? Like you're, so I work with a lot of my clients on building that foundational structure where you might have a good idea and a good vision and, you know, like, and that's all great, but products are the last thing you really need to care about when you're really building in this market, right? Like we were talking earlier, 
if you buy a product, then it needs to be good quality and you want your consumer to keep on buying from you. Like it's important. Mm. But before they even touch your product these days, there's, excuse me, there's so much conversation needs to be had. There's so much groundwork that needs to be done. You know, like sometimes I'll, I'll work with clients and, you know, like the, the discovery time, sometimes they feel like it takes so long and they're like, man, like I want, you know, I want information. I want you to give me stuff. And obviously I, I do that. But, you know, as we go through two, three, four months, they go, I get it. I get why we spent so much time on that one specific thing. You know, I get why we spent so much time on, on what brand DNA even means. Because now whatever I do something, I never get called out because it's always in line right? Because once it's in line with your values, then you're in a much better, safer space. But you need that, you know, that takes a lot of humility and a lot of vulnerability. And not a lot of places are open to do that. Some of the biggest brands in the world right now, I don't support because they're posing and they're posturing on this exclusivity and all this stuff. But the actual core culture of them were built on really bad morals and values. And so the fact that they haven't come out and apologized for it is not making it right. There's been a lot of facades and a lot of people faking the funk or, you know what I mean? Like pretending like there's something. And because of transparency, like over the last couple of years, we're seeing that all these brands that were about good things were not about good things. And so now that the, 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 the world has been connected through the internet and there's so much information available and, uh, you know, everyone's just demanding radical transparency. I work with clients and, and people in terms of like, you know, healing the industry by starting off and looking at their foundations looking at their values and looking at their culture, looking at what their mission is, right? Like really kind of breaking down the whole company apart because if, you know, it's like, for example, you know, if you're, uh, we were just talking about this before, but it's like, if you're vegan and you're an animal lover, well, then you probably shouldn't be making cosmetics that test on animals, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that that's where it gets kind of caught up because like, oh, well, that's the business because you need to do that to be able to sell in China and da, 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 da. And it's like, okay, but then, you know, animal care and veganism isn't part of your value system. And I'm not saying that that's, a, I'm, not, like, I'm not judging people on whether they're vegan or not. I'm just saying that just be radically transparent with who you are and what you are so that when you move forward two, three, five, 10, 15, 30 years, because that's why we're all in this industry to be here for a legacy, it's not going to come out. And all of a sudden, 20 years down the road, you're doing great. And all of a sudden, just like, you know, the industry's outing brands daily right now. Like I work with people to make sure that that will never happen to them. Right. Because we're going to work the nuances to make sure that they're in a place where it's healthy and progressive through their entire, you know. Yeah, through their journey. And we were, and we were talking about that and, and specifically with like Monty and Co, how, you know, our, our mission is to create really high quality travel products and travel essentials that make morally responsible decisions in, uh, in an effort to kind of change fast fashion. And Yes, there are sustainable components to what we do, like, like, you know, our wool, um, you know, there are eco-friendly components to what we do, like our vegetable tan leather, uh, there's ethical components to what we do, and that's local production. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I never come out and say that we're a sustainable brand and we're the best and we do this. We just use those pillars as a way to navigate and map uh, how we grow our business and the decisions we make within the framework of our, of our business. Uh, we're not overtly saying and this is a whole nother discussion because you know the truth is no one can overtly say that they're sustainable it's it's actually physically impossible. it's impossible yeah. at this point in our uh in technology and 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 you know how we utilize resources there's there's you know unless there's like a small tucked away brand that's like completely 
you know, living and, and has their own ecosystem or whatever. Like I can see that, but like on, on a mass scale, you can't say you're, no one can say they're sustainable. I don't, I don't give a shit who you are. Um, but it's, it's really leveraging those, those pillars that you can develop to, to govern yourself and, and really protect yourself down the road. Cause you know, someone could say in 20 years from now, well, you said you were sustainable. I was like, no, I didn't. I never said that once. I said that we use sustainable, you know, raw materials that are better for the environment, you know? Um, yeah. and I think that's a really important, uh, you know, it's a really important a distinction, but be a way to grow a business, especially now in, in a world where we were talking about it before, like, you know, you can't say your stuff is made here and in X and, and it's actually made in Y. Cause like you'll find any factory now, anything, everything is out there. Like it's not like, you know, the seventies and eighties where you can say one thing and no one knows where your shit's actually made. Like people will find out and, and customers want to see that customers want to, you to be like, Hey, I'm in my factory in Toronto, or, you know, I'm in my factory in China, but these are all the people involved in the process, not like hiding behind the fact that you're, you know, paying people like cents on the dollar to make a product that you're selling for like a thousand or whatever the price point is. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's just a really important facet of, I think of business now. And, and I'm sure you see this a lot uh, in, in your field and, and when you yeah. kind of consult, right? Yeah, because I mean, I think that like, and, and the the sustainability uh, angle that you just mentioned is really interesting. And, and I'm actually, uh, it's really great to hear that you're not calling yourself a sustainable uh, company, but you have sustainable initiatives. Mm-hmm. And I think that the the industry likes to hold on and latch on to uh, these hot topic terms, right? Everybody wants to be sustainable right now. But I think that, you know, like I was saying, so when I work with with brands and they, they're like, oh, we want to we be sustainable. I'm like, okay, well, wait, let's break that down. Yeah. Right. Like when you say sustainable, what do you mean by that? Like, oh, well, we're, we're, we're reducing our water, our water waste when we're creating denim. Okay. So that's cool. So just say that you're, that you're, that you're eco-conscious and you're using less water because the second that you call yourself sustainable as an umbrella, there's a million ways that you can poke holes in that because, oh, well, you're sustainable here, but you're not sustainable here. And, and so I work with, 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 with clients to, to create that health. And what I mean by that is to be able to ensure that their values and their morals, that not only do they understand them on their own, because a lot of people just say stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm here to challenge them and say, okay, so what do you mean by that? And then I try to find the, the, the key parts of it that actually do align with their values. That's a very honest story that really makes sense that they can actually use for their communications and, and, and whatever have you. But then if they ever get caught with the situation where someone's actually um, challenging them, they're in a very clean and healthy place to say, Hey, listen, like, you know, this is what this is. Like we're transparent. You can go on our website and you can see the factors that we work with and you can check them out yourselves. Like, you know, and so I think that it's uh, when I say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, uh, you know, uh, provide, uh, what would you say? Um, healing. Yeah. Sorry. So when I say like, well, I want to heal the industry, it's really by that. And that's not just from startup brands. Mm-hmm. These are a lot of brands that have been acting a certain way for a long time because nobody's been caring or pulling behind the sheets. But now all of a sudden everything's radically transparent and they're shaking. People are like, what do we do? Like there's multi-billion dollar companies and brands that have no idea what to do because they have so much, but like, you know what I mean? Like behind the scenes that they're not, you know, proud of. And, you know, we were talking about that and I don't want to get too much into that, but I think that, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a level of humanity that needs to be put into every brand, right? Like whether that's socially, whether that's, you know, eco, whether that's, you know, you name it. But I think that 
people want honesty right now and they don't want to be sold anymore. And I think that, you know, I, I, I guess to sum up this kind of question, I'd love to move on, but like, you know, one main question that I ask anybody who approaches me is if you, if you take away your products from your conversation, from your photos, what is your brand saying? And they go, what are you talking about? We make products. And I'm like, well, that's when, that's why you're going to lose mm-hmm. because the world doesn't want more products. The want, the world wants more things that resonate with their values. Brands are essentially the new religion, right? So as human beings, we want to gravitate towards stuff that, that, that really resonates with us, right? Religion for a lot of people isn't the case these days, but brands are. So they're trying to find brands that resonate with their values that they can then champion when they're walking around and they're doing their things. But now it's interesting because pe- people that are in the know, if you're rocking a brand that is bullshit or like just terrible for the, for, for, for the earth, people are now judging you on that being like, really? Like you wear that makeup or really you, you support this brand? Like, don't you know what they're doing? And I think that's a great step in the right direction. And, and I find it really fascinating where, where, where the market's going right now. Um, but that's the honest truth. Like a lot of designers that, that I talk to and they have their like brand names as their social. I'm like, don't do that. Just put your name down. And then, you know, you can have your, your, your company handle or whatever, but like, just be human. You're the designer behind this thing. You'll have way more content to share. You'll have a lot more context to be, you know what I mean? Like exposing your, your community to. And just be honest, like just be wholesome, you know, and um, it's, listen, it's not, it, it's complicated, but it's also really simple when you really know how to break it down. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've, I've said this before on a number of different podcasts, and this is something that like I always, always struggle with is um, knowing what kind of content to put out and what to say and, and, you know, what's interesting and what's not. And like, that can all be very intimidating, but I think the punchline here is like, in terms of your business, once you have all those things aligned and the message is clear and there's a level of transparency, then everything else kind of flows naturally. Like you just, you just tell people what you're doing or what you've done or uh, what you plan to do, what's next. And, and everything's just very organic where if you know, it's like anything else. If you got, if you're hiding a secret, um, everything becomes about hiding that secret versus sure. just putting, you know, just telling the truth and, and putting the right message out there. So it, it, it's interesting that you say that in, in the scope of, of, of communications, because uh, this is something you obviously specialize in. Um, how would you distinguish though, between, you know, we're talking a lot about brand, like what, um, you know, what, what is your brand's mission? What is your brand's core values? Like how, how do you distinguish between branding and, and marketing? Cause I think people that maybe are getting, uh, into, you know, they're starting to grow or, you know, they've designed a collection and now it's time to like, you know, tell the world about it, build a website, get a social media, whatever the case may be. It can kind of be very confusing. What is branding and what is marketing? How do you distinguish them? And, um, I guess is one more important than the other. And that might be a stupid question asking you, but, uh, cause I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but, um, yeah, is, is, how would you distinguish between the two and, and which one would you f- spend more of your, your attention on or would you? Well, I think, I think that when you look at that, I think that like, first of all, marketing and branding are essentially one and the same in terms of a full circle mentality. Like they both play off of each other, but they're also very, very different. So branding and brand is what I've kind of been, you know, mentioning over and over again. It's like the values. It's your, it's your, it's your, 
it's your culture. It's, it's what you're about. It's what you stand for. It's like, you know, everything about who you are, it's your reputation, right? Brand is essentially your reputation, whether you're an influencer and your personal brand or whether you're a massive company and that's your brand. And this isn't just fashion. This is everything, right? Like it's all essentially reputation. And that's the way the transparency comes in these days because that transparency is exposing people's actual selves, right? Like they're, and people are realizing, you know, like, wow, their reputation, actually, they've been lying to us for this long time or not, or wow, like their reputation, you know, like uh, supersedes themselves because I know them already so much. And I like, whatever the case is now marketing is the communication of all of that. So they all play in, 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 in the same kind of sphere. So once you have all that brand and that branding solidified and listen, branding is a bit more of an open conversation because branding also means logo and hang tags and packaging. But I, I found feeling you're talking more about like the branding, like the soul of the company, not just like the things that they're making. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that, once you kind of figure out what your branding is, what your stance is, how you believe, you know, what you believe, yada, 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 then the marketing is figuring out dynamic ways to communicate that message. Now, the reason why I call myself a, 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 a holistic consultant is because I look how I look at everything. I don't look from the ground floor up. I look at it kind of more as like a carousel, right? Where like you're going in this full circle and you have to keep on because you're going to evolve. You're going to, you, your brand is going to get a change over time. It's inevitable. You're going to learn more. You're going to be more conscious. You're going to be more aware. You're going to want to expand into maybe another niche or another genre. Like that's business. That's, that's what happens. But when you have your marketing on and you're communicating your brand, that's what's driving, right? Like that's what's driving your success. So they're one and the same because in your marketing, you still need to be, you know, essentially your branding at the same time, but without a proper branding structure and a proper brand structure, your marketing is going to kind of be all over the place. You know what I mean? Because you're just going to be latching on to maybe things that you're interested in, but don't constantly keep this repetitive nature of your brand's core mission statement. Um, and marketing, listen, marketing is super, super um, important and marketing's not sales for everybody out there. Um, you need a sales manager and a marketing manager. They're not one and the same. Marketing is a long-term game. It's building brand. Brand takes time. Reputation takes time, right? Like when you were in grade one, people just met you. But in grade five, well, now you have a reputation. Are you a nice person? Are you a bully? Are you smart? Are you not? Are you, you know, giving? Are you like, so, you know, that, that type of thing does take a lot of time to, to develop. And marketing is the strongest tool that we can use right now, especially across social media. So I think one thing that kind of eludes people when they look at social is that, you know, it's a very interesting place, social media and social media marketing, right? So on one hand, what I think a lot of brands struggle with is diversifying their conversation because they're like, well, you know, how do I express this in many different ways? And I think what I end up finding is a lot of people struggle with that. And so what they do is they start sharing the same content on every social platform. Now, they think that because they're on five platforms that they have this massive opening following, except what ends up happening is if you're showing me the exact same thing on every channel that I follow you on, then I'm only going to follow you on one. So you're actually minimizing your reach. You're not expanding it just because you're on five different platforms. The key with marketing is identifying the nuances on those platforms and how to leverage them. You know, like the, the demographic, what people are talking about, the mental space that people are in when they're on that page, right? If I'm on Instagram versus LinkedIn, my mentality, my approach to that is very, very different because Instagram are looking for inspiration and like really cool photos and imagery and, you know, you name it. 
But LinkedIn is a lot more business, right? It's a lot more structured. It's like when I'm on LinkedIn, I'm looking at business. I'm looking at creative business, strategic business, like inspiring business. It's not just like, you know, business, like boring. But the way that I'm communicating on LinkedIn is different than I'm communicating on Instagram because they're different markets and there's there are different ways for me to express my brand through marketing it on different channels because I can show the dynamic nature of my brand. It's not just product, it's inspiration, but it's also sustainability. So you can go onto LinkedIn and talk about sustainability and your brand and you can just champion sustainability and just share topics that might not be like, hey, my brand's doing this, but be like, wow, this is a really cool thing in the sustainability movement that just happened, right? Like everything kind of needs to intertwine itself and that way you never get lost. Mm-hmm. Once you have your branding and your foundation down, then it's a matter of uh, it's a matter of elevating, a matter of of, um, of exploring that in your communications and in your marketing. Very interesting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, yeah, like to- totally. I think there's, I think, I think you're bang on with this. I think a lot of people just think like, oh, I have a profile that exists, so I'm gonna just blast. You know, I'm gonna get Hootsuite. I'm gonna plug in a post, put it on all these platforms, and go. But yeah, you're right. It's 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 understanding how to communicate with those different people that um, I think is, is the real nuance and, and, and getting the, the exposure in front of the right people. One thing I wanted to talk about, we kind of talked about it off camera um, before we hit record, which I found really interesting. And this, this ties into you being kind of like, uh, uh, you know, ties into your comments about being a coach and a consultant. Right. And um, I found it really interesting and I'd like to talk about it a little bit more is, you know, we're talking about, How's Q4 looking? Uh, what's 2022 or sorry, 2021 looking like? Uh, we're discussing, you know, our progression, our different opportunities. And you said something really interesting. And, and that was, uh, we should be living 2021 like 2020 is still going on. And, you know, I think in a lot of people's heads, they're like, nah, fuck that. I want 2020 to be done with. We got to move on. It's been the worst year of like history ever. Um, There's no way I'm doing this again for a year. But I think you might be right in the context of business. I mean, you know, like, we're not out of the weeds yet. Um, That, you know, this, this whole pandemic situation is still very much a thing. And we don't know how long this is going to go on for. I don't I know, I know everyone is being hopeful, like, you know, hopefully when we get through the winter in March, they'll have a vaccine and um, everyone will be healthy and this thing will go away and we can go back to regular life. And I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. And I'm guessing that you don't either. Um, but like, talk a little bit about that whole, like, let's, let's start living like 2022 is going to be, um, you know, that, that, that rebirth, that, that, you know, that fresh start. And um, how can people kind of prepare to, to, you know, to live that way in terms of, I guess, business and mindset, life, everything. Totally. So, I mean, I think you hit it on the, on, on the, on the, on the head just when you started this and the fact that like, we are talking about from a business perspective, right? Like if everything is good and everybody's out and like, no one's wearing that, you know, like live 2021, like it's 2021, like, you know, live your life. If restaurants are open, go for food. Like I'm not telling people how to live their lives in that space, but like you said, we're focusing on a business conversation here. And Mm -hmm. so from a business conversation, I think that obviously there's been a lot of turmoil this year. Um, a lot of big businesses have gone under. Um, you know, I think that for better or worse, it's just been just a mind fuck of a year, right? Like there's, you, you couldn't, you know, it's like, you know, you, you kind of look at people and you're like, so how's your, how's your five-year plan working out for you, right? Because it just, it just kind of hit everybody and it's just like, now what? And so 
I think that although everyone's very hopeful and romantic that 2021 will be a better year for humanity, and I really do hope that it is, of course, for a million reasons, in terms of, a, in terms of business, business is not going to get back to where it was for a really long time. And the, what I'm seeing a lot of businesses do, and it's very apparent, I think, during fashion weeks as well, is that people seem to want to ignore what the world is and what's going on and hoping that like 2021 is just going to be this like, like New Year's is going to happen because Corona cares about your calendar. And like, you know, you know, and all of a sudden the year is going to open up and it's going to be, ah, oh, 2021 is finally here. 2020 was crazy, but that's not the case. So what ends up happening is when I'm working with a lot of people right now, um, a lot of my clients, I literally, our strategy is to really kind of survive 2021 and make our movements, right? If there's opportunities to excel and to make more money and to, you know, I'm all about that, right? Like I'm all about the progression. But in essence though, I'm trying to make sure that people don't get so excited that 2021 is gonna be this brand new year and everything's gonna be ready, because it's not. Our, our, our um, behaviors have also been changing dramatically. And I know that a lot of people are really focusing on digital and it's a great place and a great thing to do, but it's also because of the life that we're living now, we're driving towards digital so much. So all the data is crazy skewed because we don't really have that many options in terms of shopping or building businesses or, you know, marketing, like, you know, retail spaces are kind of a mess right now. And so you don't have many options in terms of that. But at the same token, though, you want to be able to look at 2021 and be like, okay, well, or look at 2020 and be like, okay, so for 2021, what do I got to focus on? I got to focus on my digital initiatives, right? Like even if physical things happen and retail blooms up again, like, you know, I, I got to focus on my digital because I don't want to be caught in another situation if something else happens because digital, you know, online doesn't get affected by the rest of the world in that kind of sense, right? Like you're open to just share and to, and, and to communicate and to sell and, you know, the, 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 um, the, 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 um, the weather and like, you know, diseases, like they don't really interrupt the, the online thing, but they do interrupt how we live as human beings. So instead of like holding your breath and then thinking that 2021 is going to be amazing and business is going to be back to normal, I'm very much letting people know, like, listen, treat 2021 like it's 2020. Look at your finances, the way that you were looking at them mid-year. Look at who you're hiring. Look at, at, at the collections that you're making. Like minimize, right? Re eliminate variables, re reduce your spending as much as you can and live by that for the rest of next year. If you have more money and you have the opportunity to, to, you know, and you start flourishing, then that's amazing. But you still need to look at it through the lens of 2020, not 2021. And though, you know, like people think we've seen the worst of this, but we haven't because the end of the, the year, you know, January is going to come around. More businesses are going to be out of business. Uh, you know, like a lot of people, because it's now the new tax cycle too, right? So businesses aren't going to be claiming anymore, you know, because they're, they're, they just can't support their, their, their staff. And, you know, there's so much that's going to get in, get into the way of that. And so 2021 is going to be really the aftermath of 2020. It's not going to be the fresh start to life. And so we need to cautiously navigate while being progressive, right? Like my clients are making money right now. I'm not saying to sit back and not do anything. I'm saying be a lot more thoughtful and mindful of really what next year is going to look like, not what you want it to look like. Don't be romantic, be more pragmatic and then be strategic on top of that and layer it and make sure that you survive the year. And like I said, if you're, if you're flourishing and blooming, I think that it's great. But I think that you have to look at the way that humans are evolving in terms of how they're buying, where they're buying from, how they even perceive retail, right? Like, you know, I think that looking at, um, you know, for a lot of retail shops in 2020, you know, maybe start looking at retail shops, not as retail shops, 
Look at them as marketing tools, right? Like maybe you can do some really, you know, like get a place that has no retail in it. Like let's say the, you know, like it, it's empty now because a lot of people are going out of business and just create a really awesome interactive um, front window display that has maybe QR codes and a bunch of stuff that you can do on your phone while you're outside in your mask or, you know, create this random amusement park. I mean, I don't know, like anything crazy, but just create something where people can walk by in the space and, and, and create that like, oh, wow. So this space isn't for selling anymore. This place is now for marketing, right? And so you take your marketing dollars and put it into retail spaces that don't sell, but still promote. And, you know, I was talking about it recently. It's like, if you can go into a street you know, let's say Toronto, for example, and you take Queen Street, it's a massive city hub. There's a lot of stores that are going out of business. So it's like, if you were a brand, look at the next year and say, okay, well, a lot of places are going under, which means that, that, the, that, the, uh, that rentals are probably going to be a lot cheaper next year. I'm going to almost imagine that eventually they're going to have to figure themselves out because, you know, these people that own these companies or these business, uh, these, these buildings need to make money, but they can't just be empty. So if you find a really good deal, for example, what if you did a pop-up like experience, like I said, whether it's just through the window or whatever, and you just found on one main street of where your country or your city or whatever is, and then just like literally every other week, just rent out another space and move around the city and do these random, like show yourself, communicate, market yourself. You know, I think that's where we go back before where it's like, if you're focused just on selling in your product, especially in this world, you're going to lose. It's, it's just, it's just unfortunate. Um, unless there's some people that are just holding on because they have billions of dollars and they're just holding their breath right now. Um, but ultimately I think that people want to look at not getting back to normal, but really learning from 2020 and like just re reassessing the year coming up and, and really look towards 2022 as, um, as, you know, I don't know, like, as a bit more of a, of, a, of a tell to the type of lives we're going to be living. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, the weird thing about all of this, right? Is like, we're, we're all sitting here. We know what our, you know, we know what our status quo was seven months ago, but we don't really know what our status quo is post pandemic. Like we don't know what normal actually is. Like, yes, people are still going like, we obviously have the tendency to still want to go to restaurants. We still want to go to our favorite retail stores. Like, you know, I still see mall parking lots full of cars. Like, you know, those behaviors still exist, but it's like, if this continues for another 18 months, we don't even know what that new normal is going to look like. So um, I think one of the key things you said there that I, I really agree with is like, yes, take opportunities, but like also being, you, you got to think survival, right? You want to come out of this on, on the back end of this where you're like, okay, I didn't make that much, but I didn't lose anything. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm maybe not where I plan to be to, you know, in my five-year plan, but at least I'm alive and, and now I'm ready to rock. And, and, you know, I have some dollars to do it. Um, you know, everything, you know, the health check is good and, and you can kind of put your best foot forward. I think, um, you know, I, online is growing and everyone knows that e-commerce is up, but like you said, there's not, um, I don't know how sustainable that is. Are we going to see 150% growth year over year on e-commerce? Right. We might, but we might not. And um, I think it's just about kind of navigating things conservatively right now. Um, yeah. That's and what listen. a smart business person should do, right? Is, yeah. is, you know, don't be like, holy shit, 140, 150%, uh, 200% on, on e-commerce. I'm betting the farm on this. I'm going to come out of COVID richer than I was. Like, well, you don't know in six months if that's this trend is if this is just a blip, if it's an anomaly, if it's a long-term trend. And I think survival, honestly, is 
should be the MO for, for especially small SMBs, smaller designers, uh, just, just come out alive, but yeah, for sure. And listen, and don't, and, and this is, this is also under the, the, like, this is also saying that like, this is even if we have a vaccine or a cure or something by, like next year, like it's not just going to turn the, the world back up. Like I hope that something comes out next year or we figure something out with this world. There's no question about it. But even if that is already taken care of the aftermath of business and retail and money and spending and people with jobs and not jobs and you know, that is still going to roll right through 2021. And, and that's kind of what I mean by that. And, and maybe after. And, and maybe, yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and, you know, to put things into real perspective, there's 8 billion people on this planet. And whenever that vaccine does come out, it's 8 billion people aren't getting it the day after. It's, it's going to take time to roll out. And, of course it will. And there's still going to be like a fear factor. And, and like, like I said, we're not out of the weeds with this thing. So like, I agree with you. Start planning like it hope for 2022 you know i think the hope is that like you know we figure shit out in 2021 2022 gets back to some sort of normalcy like hope for it um i still think maybe even a little bit longer than that but yeah so just to add one more quick thing um yeah. just for everybody listening i, I want to really draw some value here in terms of like well what do we do right like if that's what it's going to be because there's like i said there's smbs there's people that i work with that have 150 250 300 for marketing and so you know that idea of getting a random retail shop you know for $10,000 for the week and you do that over the course of three months and you're in different areas, like potentially could make sense. Now, for people that don't have that money, more independence and things like that, you know, when they ask what they should do, I'm like, honestly, you need to sit and you need to study and you need to learn because being a designer is not enough anymore. And that's when I come back to the whole romance of being a designer, being in fashion. Like you're a designer, I get that, but you can't just be that anymore, right? Like you need to learn how to communicate on social media. You need to understand them, even at a basic level. Like if you have no idea and you're hiring someone to do it, that's actually a bad place for you to be, not a good place because you can't actually judge them on whether they're doing good or not because you actually have no fucking idea. So if you're like, oh, well, the sales aren't coming up and I hired this person, but you don't understand why they haven't gone based on, you know, so I'm all about education. It's like, take the time to step back. I mean, progressively run your business. You know, don't put that on pause. But as a human being, whether it's a single person or a team, step back and maybe make an, like a couple hours a week as a team, you know, and say, okay, today we're going to learn LinkedIn and LinkedIn strategies. You know what I mean? Like Wednesday, we're going to do Instagram and we're going to see what's going on with that. Like learn these platforms because they're more important than ever. And like, you know, listen, a lot of organic is, has, has gone out the window on, on some of these platforms, but some of them haven't. LinkedIn organic is insane right? TikTok organic is also insane. Like whatever you, whatever you feel about that app is up to you. But like, you know, it, it, it's kind of one of these things like, you know, you can go on Instagram and literally spend $5 on an ad. Like do that. See what it feels like. Go onto Facebook ad manager, like understand what it is to create segments and how to, you know, how to test ABs. And, you know, it's like, you don't have to be a genius. But you have to start learning the language of the world that we're living in now, not being romantic about how it used to be because you don't like social. And so I think that one thing I also I want to say about socials is where a lot of, uh, a lot of people get really caught, a lot of brands and, and, and businesses get caught with social, especially independents and people that are running it themselves. They don't like social media, right? So people are always like, oh, I don't like social media. And it's like, well, if your business isn't doing well and that's your only option, then get to start liking it. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, if you need it, like if you don't need it, like, well, I talk to clients all the time and you know, it's like when, when we talk about social media and like, do you think it's important? I'm like, well, I, we have to look at your business. Like 
if you're doing great and you're not on socials and you don't find it important, like we'll, we'll touch on it, but I'm not telling you to stop doing the other stuff. I'm not saying that social is the be all end all, but I am saying that you got to really understand it because you're in so many faces so often. There's so many platforms to do that in. And it gives you this outstanding bonus of business. People are like, oh, well, you got to pay for ads on Instagram. Like it's been free for 10 years. They let you build your businesses for free, right? Like they're like, oh, organic is down. But there's manual strategies that you can do to kind of like, you know, kind of like hack the system to actually make free organic strategies work, but you have to study them. So when people are like, oh, I don't like being on social. It's like, well, then don't complain about your business because if you need socials, then learn how to use them. If you're on, if you're on, if you're on Instagram and you're scrolling through your feed aimlessly for four hours a day, yes, complete garbage waste of time. But if you're doing that and you're actually doing business on the platform, that's what you're supposed to be doing if you're a business. So you don't need to be shoving ads in everybody's faces. There's a lot of manual strategies and there's a lot of ways to communicate and engage. And, you know, we even connected via, you know, things like this. And so I think that when a lot of people get caught in the middle of like, they need social media, but they don't like it. And it's like, that's where you got to look at it as a business and be like, well, it doesn't matter. It's just like you have, you know, if you have a business and you have, uh, and you have um, a CFO, well, you need a CMO now too right? Like you need it. It's part of, it's part of your business. And so I think that that's when I keep on going back to this whole romantic idea that people have, they think it's going to get back and they won't have to be on social anymore. And they will be this and they will be that. And it's like, you know, you're a business, you got to act like a business. I mean, the, you know, spending a hundred thousand dollars on a commercial is impossible. Spending $10 on a, on, on promoting a post once every three weeks. Like, yeah, right? I, I know this is like maybe oversimplifying it, but guess what? Like, it might cost a hundred thousand dollars to do uh, this massive shoot. It costs zero dollars to go like this. Hey, whatever. Oh, I'm so and so from this company. We're going through a tough time, but we're part. You know, it's just like you could do it for free. And then you know, social media is free. And one thing you said there that uh, like actually works, and I can vouch for this is, I don't go on Instagram. Unless I'm doing something like, honestly, like maybe 15 minutes a day, I'm on Instagram, just like mindlessly scrolling. That's why I stopped doing it. Cause I, I'm right. like, I don't even give a shit about what anyone's doing. Cause everything's just the same. Like, you know, this guy's having coffee, this person, you know, it's just that there's just nothing new and exciting. So I, I stopped using it for pleasure. But what I started doing it was started doing was I, I use it for business development. Like one thing I'm, I, I like to say I'm really good at it is, is networking and, and developing business. And now I use Instagram. I follow all of my retailers. I post notifications for when all my retailers um, post something. And, you know, I'll add my two cents when they do. Like, hey, let them know. Like, I'm here. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not ignoring you. You know, it's amazing. That, might, that, might, that might seem inconsequential, but it's not because, you know, it's, and this is what we're going to get into now. And I think what we're going to end off with is it's making noise, right? We talked about this before we recorded it. And you, and, and you told me, you're like, you know, use the rest of this year in 2021 to just make fucking noise. It doesn't need to cost you anything and just, just make noise. And this, this is where I want to go with this now is, you know, I'm using Instagram like that to make some noise and it might not be that loud, but it let's, either retailers or retailers that want to be in or people that I want to work with um, and people that I think want to work with me, let them know that like, Hey, I'm paying attention to what you're doing. I'm not, you know, I'm not hiding behind a pandemic and, and whatever. But in the context of making that noise, I think I want to end off here is like, maybe you can provide some value on like three actionable steps where an emerging designer, a small brand 
someone with a shoestring budget, like we're not talking about people, like you said, that have a hundred thousand dollars to go burn on a retail space, but like three actionable steps that someone with a shoestring budget, like right now, without even blinking can put into practice to make some noise, to keep their brand top of mind and, and, you know, hopefully help them survive and thrive post, you know, pandemic. Right. Totally. So, and that's a really great question. And I appreciate that because I think it'll create a lot of value for people. Um, like you said, right. The, the, social media and, and these spaces, they're, they're free, right? Like, you know, you can kind of get on there. And, and, and when I'm talking about making noise, it's not just being all about you, right? Making noise is also getting into conversations, building community. And I think what happens is a lot of people become so passive. They'll make a photo, they'll put a post and they'll sit there. And if they don't get enough likes and they didn't make a sale, they're like, oh, I hate social media. Yeah. And it's like, but you're not engaging with the platform. You're just taking from the platform. And nobody wants to just give you because you think that you deserve it. So, you know, in terms of getting onto social media, like in a way where you don't have to spend a lot of money or like zero dollars, you know, you can like, so for example, on your retailers, you said you put on notifications. Mm -hmm. So let's just say that uh, we'll use business of fashion as a random example. Okay. I follow business of fashion and I have notifications turned on because every single time they post something, I will go into that. I will read it. And I will leave a thoughtful comment. I will like other comments that I agree with. I will comment on comments that I agree with and start a conversation, right? Like, because this is within my branding sphere. This is what people know me for. This is where I really thrive. And so I'm engaging and communicating there, right? Like that drives attention to your page. You don't have to comment, oh, hey, check out my stuff because that's spam. And don't be like, oh, yo, like here's my website because you don't want to spam people. But if you get somebody's attention, it's always going to filter back. It's going to funnel back to your profile anyways. You don't have to tell them that you're a designer. If you leave a thoughtful comment and they think it's cool, they will check your profile and they will see that you are a designer. Maybe they'll follow you. If they do, you can hit them back on, on the DM. Hey, thanks so kindly for following me back. That was a super great conversation. I don't know, right? Like, but don't like follow unfollow. Don't like spam like people and like don't just leave random emojis and like, you know, engage, like really, really engage. So on Instagram, for example, with $0, you can do reels, which is really, really good right now. You can run stories, you can connect and, and comment, and you can go through searches and find things that you like and like the posts and comment it. You can share other people's posts. Just make sure that you actually tag them in the post because just because you share it doesn't mean that that person gets a notification. You actually have to tag them. So now you're building communications and you're building more brand, more awareness. I resonate with this thing because it was a really great post or it was, you know, on my creative sphere or they're really championing sustainability or, I mean, you know, brand, there's so much there. Um, but on Instagram, you can do, like you said, you pull up the thing, you take your phone and you just say, Hey, what's going on? Hope you're having a great day. That's a piece of content. You know what I mean? Like, it, and I think that stories is a bit more voyeurist, uh, voyeuristic than posts are which is great because you can just share your life, share your flow, share your journey. And if you're all on brand and, and you have your values intact, then you never have to worry about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And that's why that brand coming back full circle is super, super important. Another way on LinkedIn is a great, I just want to give you a few different platforms here, but like LinkedIn's really, really great because their organic reach is wild. And the cool thing about LinkedIn is that you can, you can share posts, you can talk business, you can talk about whatever's in, whatever in your sphere, you can comment on posts and engage with people and post as much as you want, like share something and leave a thoughtful comment, write a full article about something, like, comment, tag, you know, on other people's posts. The really cool thing about LinkedIn is when you start doing that, when, so connections on LinkedIn work really interesting. So on LinkedIn, if you comment on my posts, 
then all of your followers who are interested within that sphere of the algorithm, whatever, but like, if you comment on my post, then all of your followers see that you commented on my post, whether they're following me or not. And that is very, very unique to LinkedIn because even on Facebook, if somebody comments, unless you're friends with that person, you're never going to see their, 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 their activity. So the more that you entice people to engage with you, ask questions, you know what I mean? Do polls, like whatever it is, the more that you're engaging with that platform and making noise, but noise that creates value for people, having conversations, things to talk about that engage, that strengthen your brand, that they're like, oh, wow, this person actually knows what they're talking about. Every single person that hits you up on your own post, their followers are going to see that and you're going to get way more connections and people, you're going to build more network and more business. And so there's a lot of ways to build and make a lot of noise on these platforms without spending money, but you have to spend the time. Mm. And you know, you can't not spend money and not spend time and then complain that your business is suffering. You know, like you don't have money, spend four hours a day, spend an hour on every platform that you're on, figure out a really good, strong manual strategy and do that every day for four hours a day. You'll be amazed at how your followers go up, your likes go up, your engagements go up, your opportunities come up, your clients come up. Like you just really have to understand the nuances in all these platforms because like I said, the way that I'm talking on Instagram is going to bring me a certain type of clientele and a certain type of attention. LinkedIn will bring me a different type of clientele and a different type of attention. So now I'm opening up the ecosystem of my brand or my business to invite people to it, right? Like it, so I think in terms of like making a lot of noise, there's a lot of ways to do it for free, but you know, if you have a business, you got to treat it like a business. I think people got really soft. It was really easy to make money and it was really easy to, you know, like when the algorithm was in everybody's favor and nobody cared, like it was easy, you know? And I was talking to, to, uh, to associates of mine in Italy, they own a, a PR firm out there and we're, we're, we're doing something uh, really big coming up. Um, and we were talking about, it and they're like, why don't you think that a lot of these big businesses have any idea what they're doing? I'm like, because in a bull market, everybody's a genius, Yeah. right? When everyone's spending money, it's pretty easy to make sales. And that's where a lot of the last like five, 10 years or so have been flourishing all these businesses. And now they're going out of business left and right. Cause they're like, they don't understand it. They, they don't get it. They don't understand what needs to be done, but in this market. Yeah. And so I think that's what people really have to start looking at and saying like, okay, like if this is my business, I have to treat it like one. I have to set up a structure and a strategy, right? Like, and actually put the time in if I don't have the money. And then you can do different things, right? Like I said, on Instagram, LinkedIn's a bit more expensive for that, um, for advertising. But on, on Instagram, you can literally just like promote a post for five bucks, right? So what? You get 30 people to look at it? Great. But then five of them are brand new customers. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, think, I think the punchline is too, it's all learning, right? Like you might have never put, spent any money on, on, on boosting a post or, like you said earlier, being in Facebook ads manager, now's a really great time to figure that shit out. And, um, it really isn't that complicated. Uh, you it's know, not, it's, it's not. Like, and for, yeah. And just to cut, so not to cut you off, but like just for everybody listening, like, you know, uh, Andrew brings up a really good, uh, a really good point. Like it, 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 it's not, it's not that hard at all, but like you have to learn it. And if everyone's like, well, how do you do it? Or it's like, go onto YouTube, go onto Google, your best friend and type in best strategies for Instagram. You know, like what changed in, on LinkedIn in August, you know what I mean? Like what new platforms are coming up? Like there's, there's so much free information out there. You know what I mean? And that's why I do all these things, right? Like when I give all this information, all this advice, and you know, I do, I do so much stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member, uh, sorry, I'm a, I'm a mentor at, uh, at TFI. Um, you know, I'm trying to give as much value as I can to people because a lot of this stuff is just very searchable. 
I don't really charge people or my clients for stuff that like you can just Google for two seconds on YouTube. I look at actual like steps for the actual business, what their communication and marketing needs to be like. We look at the nuances on these, on these platforms, how we can leverage them. Like that's what I charge people for. I don't charge people for information like this. And I, and, and that's why when, when people hit me up and they're like, Hey, da, 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 I give them some information. I'm like, but honestly go to Google in the search. And they're like, don't you want my business? And I'm like, what, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to charge you for something that is, the, it's like, it's everywhere. Like, just go find it. Like, you know, here's some links, here's some great articles, like go read it. But then the, the ones that can't afford me, we get into a different conversation because it's a lot more precise, a lot more tactical, a lot more long-term. It's a lot different, but ultimately like there's a lot of information out there. And, and I think that, uh, that the people are just lazy. Yep. I, I agree with you. I mean, it never has it been easier to learn a skill. I mean, Literally, if you want to become a fashion designer, you can actually go on LinkedIn and learn how to draw for fat. Like, oh, uh, you're preaching. I mean, fashion schools are such a waste of money. I mean, you, you, this that could be a whole episode on its own. Oh yeah, and I, like I don't even want to. Yeah, like that could be a whole episode episode on its own. But but I think the punchline is like if you're an entrepreneur, a business owner, uh, a designer, and like you're like, well, how do I get my first customer? How do I get my first hundred customers? It's like. It's never been easier. Before, you used to have to get a retail store or convince, uh, or get a retail oh store convince a retailer to buy your collection. Like now, you have all the leverage. Like just hundred percent. Pick up your phone, take a photo of it, go to your competitor's Instagram, follow a hundred of them, comment on their thing. One of them's gonna buy your thing if it's good. Like it's yeah. I mean, like I'm. I mean, in terms of following people randomly, that's not something that I, I generally promote because it, it comes off across the span, but. I agree with what you mean in terms of engaging with them. Go to their posts, like their stuff, leave a thoughtful comment. I'm just oversimplifying my, my thought. Like I, I you know, like I, I think those days are, are gone where, you know, you just follow people, they follow you back. <laughs> it just, that doesn't work. But you know, the, for the, for the, you know, the, but you're right. The, the understanding and the context of, of how easy it is, is like, that's all it really takes, you know. So here, here, here's one, here's one random activity that everyone can do just to kind of, um, to, to leap to, you know, just to kind of like, um, end off. With yeah. Just to kind of, you know, so for example, people are like, okay, so, you know, how do you get that attention and, and how do you get the right people? So what I'll tell people to do exactly what you said, I just want to elaborate on your, on your point. So mm -hmm. one really easy thing that people can do is if you're a brand or a product or an influencer or whatever, if you're a yoga teacher, like you name, it doesn't really matter. One easy, quick, free thing that you can do that really will help if you do it over time. Don't do it once and then say it doesn't work because that's not how life works. You got to really put the time in and over time. What you can do is let's say that you're, um, if you're a yoga teacher, for example, go to one of the most famous yoga teachers on Instagram. Go to the people that are following them. Not the people that they're following, the people that are following them because you know that if they're interested in that person that they'll probably be interested in your stuff too. And then I literally go through the people that are following them and I go one by one and I go to their first photo and I'll like it. If it's a photo that I like, you know what I mean? Like if it's a baby holding a knife, chances are I probably won't because you got to be somewhat reasonable, but I'll like the thing and I'll leave a, an actual comment. If I, if I really like it, I'll be like, Oh, like I love those pants. Where are they from? Or yo, that's a dope set. Or wow, you created that art. Like I've been trying to do acrylics too. Like any tips? I don't know. Like whatever the case is. Right. But what ends up happening is now you're targeting people for free that you know are interested in yoga. So you don't even have to do an ad to target. You can literally do it manually. And then I think Instagram lets you go down to like 200 profiles and then it kind of like refreshes it. Then go to another one. 
go to a, go, go, if you're a yoga teacher, go to a, 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 a healthy eating uh, a page, you know, like, and then just literally do that and be honest and be sincere, like photos that you actually like, comment something that actually brings some value or like actually engages. So it doesn't come off across as spam because that's not the point of this. You're trying to build community. You're not trying to bot, like you're not, not trying to annoy people. So that's something that's very easy, very basic, very clean, but it's targeted manual strategies to build you up. And I think that you just need to take some time and really think about that and be very mindful about how you spend your time on these platforms and what you're on there for. It's, it's, listen, I don't want to say it's easy. It takes work, but like, it's easy, you know, it just takes work. So you just got to be willing to put in the time. You got to be willing to learn new things, uh, learn from your mistakes, treat it like anything else, make notes on on what works, what doesn't build on that. But um, speaking of building on that, there's been a ton of really 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 great value in this episode uh, um, your story was incredible um and, and Thanks. i wasn't talking so long for everybody no 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 it's all good the the you know it's and it's still developing which is really interesting you know you've just provided a ton a ton of value you know i'm just i'm grateful for having you on here and such a great discussion and uh you know just before we kind of sign off and i'll let you go why don't you let people know where they can hit you up, how they can get in touch with you. If anyone's looking for some, uh, you know, for some consulting, for some brand advice, or uh, honestly, if you haven't noticed by now, Yossi's a people person, so I'm sure he'll talk to you for no reason at all. Where, where can where can people find you? Yeah, well, totally. Anybody is more than welcome to hit me up on any of my platforms. Uh, you can find me at Yossi Fisher. So Instagram is Yossi underscore Fisher. LinkedIn is Yossi Fisher. Um, you can do a search. There's not many Yussi Fishers out there in the space that I'm in. Um, but if you'd like, you can go to my website. It's yussifisher.com. And uh, you can actually go onto the site. And all the things that I'm talking about right now about giving value and providing value, on my site, there's actually an, an entire page that's dedicated to all the um, interviews that I've done, all the podcasts I've done, um, you know, everything that's kind of been me sharing information. And you can go to my website and there are tons of things that you can listen to, that you can follow along with, that you can just on your own time, learn free strategies, learn ways to improve your business, um, especially during Corona, but also just as the whole. So if people really want to get more information about me, obviously, yossifisher.com, there's my about page there, but there's also a lot of free advice. It's really tactical that I actually provide a lot of my clients with as well, that you can just go at any time and, uh, and really get a lot more uh, value. So I really appreciate this, Andrew. It actually felt more of a conversation than like a, I don't know, it's just like a really good flow. So I'm really happy that, um, that you reached out. We made this happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm sure, we'll, you know, this won't be the last time you get on this podcast. We'll have to circle back, see how things are developing with your uh, with being back in Toronto. And, um, you know, as as we climb out of this pandemic, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more value bombs you can provide. So um, I appreciate you doing it. I had a blast. You know, time flies when you're having fun. I just looked down and realized like, shit, this has been a long one. It's going to be a long one. But yeah. uh, um, it's been good and uh, you know stay safe I wish you nothing but the best and uh, let's let's definitely keep in touch my man blessings that sounds like a great idea man I'm re- really really I thank you very kindly again you're doing great things here and your guests have been amazing and, and I hope that I can I can stand up to all the value you've been delivering to your audience and um, you know like you said anybody wants to reach out they can but I, I really appreciate your time today I appreciate yours man hi brother <laughs>